This evening we will continue with before the Acts 2.3. So far, we have looked at um, the prophecy, what God had promised. We have also looked, we have also seen the principles, that's what we looked at last week, the provisions that God has made for you and I concerning this prophecy, which is that he wants us to have the nature of God. It is his desire that we be conformed to the image of Christ. Last week, we looked at the issue of fruit bearing. And one of the things that um, I, I need us to be careful about is not to confuse leaves with fruit. There are two different things. We're going to see more as we look at the practice of um, the, the prophecy and the principles. That's the putting to practice of what God had said. How this is going to happen in our lives. Now I'm going to read um, first and foremost. I'm going to read the text that we have been using. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. From verse 11 through to 32. And then we'll also read James 1, 21 to 25. Before we take what we want to look at tonight or this evening. Ephesians 4 from verse 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. To a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we should no longer be tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. By the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ. For... From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Now, please, let's listen to what follows from verse 17 now. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Please, what does this tell us? That it is possible to be a believer and walk as the Gentiles walk. Do you understand that? So he's admonishing us not to do like that. Verse 18. Having their, this, this is how the Gentiles walk. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. Who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to walk all uncleanness with greediness. This is how the Gentiles live. Now, you are told not to live like that. Verse 20. But, you have not so learned Christ. That is, when you were taught about Christ, when you were spoken to about Christ, you were not told that this is how Christ lived, in lewdness, in darkness, out of a life of carnality. That's not what you were taught. Verse 21, if indeed you have, you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off, you what? Put off. 
put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, he's not telling us certain things that need to be put away and things that must be put on. Therefore, putting away what? Lying. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. You are not even supposed to tell a lie to another believer. Verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. In other words, don't keep malice. Don't be bitter against another person. If there is a, a problem between you and your brother, you and your sister, the matter should be resolved before the sun goes down. Don't let it wait one day. In other words, deal with issues when? Promptly. Verse 27. Not give place to the devil. This is how Satan now enters into your heart because you have not dealt with the matter. And what happens? He begins to place scenarios in you that as though that person wants to kill you. As though that person hates you. Do you understand? And you develop a bitterness. And malice, when the next day you may laugh, you may smile. But inside of you is brewing a storm. Verse 28. Let him who stole, steal no longer. But rather let him what? Labor, working with his hands, what is good, that he may have something to give who has need. We are not, we are not supposed to be a welfare church. Do you understand that? Each one needs to find something to do with his hands. And I need to say this. We need to start small. Let's stop thinking of some big deal that will, that will come one day. No. Start small with whatever you have. Start with that. You will get there eventually, but start small. I was blessed yesterday. One young boy came to me. He came here. We were, we were chatting. I said, so what are you doing? Are you, because I saw him arranging lessons to teach some children. So I said, is that all you have? He said, no. That um, people bank their money with him. I said, how do you do that? He said, well, that it's just a little 200, 500. Instead of spending it, some people, they, if, they, they, if they don't know what to do with money, they just spend it. So they give him 200 or 500. I don't know whether it's every day or every week, but they bank that money with him. I said, so what do you pay them? He said, no, they give him interest for keeping the money for them. I said, so what do you do with the money? He said, oh, he uses to do business. I said, you better make sure that that business not fail. He said, he knows what business is doing, that he doesn't fail. But you know, it never occurred to me. So, he, he, he has a group of people who may not go to the bank, but they bank with him. They trust him enough to keep their money with him. He uses the money to do... That is what a bank is supposed to do. Create wealth. And he still earns interest from them for keeping their money. And I said, wow, that's a wonderful thing. I need to share it with my people. Now, I'm not asking you to go and do that for me. Before they start coming here and telling me that your, your, your man took money from us, he can't, he can't repay. No. But I'm just going to tell you that there are some things God will give you ideas. Verse 29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. If the divine nature is in you, no corrupt word should proceed out of your mouth. But what is divine for necessary words, edification. We're supposed to be building one another up, not putting ourselves down. That it may impart grace. What? To the hearer. It may give you ability. It may give you inner strength. To move forward and do what God expects you to do. Verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. 
by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The Spirit of God is given to you as God's promise that you will see eternity in heaven. So he says, no grieving. So that he doesn't depart and then that eternity is put asunder. Befriend the Holy Spirit. Yield to him. Do whatever he tells you to do. Be led by him. That's what he's saying here. Verse 31. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Let me tell you something. Do you know that if I have anything against another person, it doesn't matter how kind that person is to me, I will think there is an ulterior motive. That's why the Bible says in Titus chapter 1 verse 15, 15, Titus 1 15, it says, to the pure, all things are what? Pure. So even when you want to hurt me, my heart towards you is clean. And because my heart towards you is clean, God is the one fighting. I don't need to know. I don't need to fight. I don't need to defend myself. This is the promise that God has given us. In fact, this is the practicality of being a Christian. It's not about having money or having a car or having a house. You may not have any of those things. If you have this, eternity is guaranteed for you. And you may drive the best car, have the biggest house, and still end up in hell, as many people are. Finally, verse 32. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Let's go to James chapter 1 and read from verse 21 to 25. James 1, 21 to 25. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. What will disturb the word of God from entering into you are these things. All filthiness, all the things of the world, all the filth of the nature of sin, the overflow of wickedness, because that is all that happens to the human heart, that still the, the old human heart that has the nature of sin. It is filled with wickedness. I think it's in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, that the Bible tells us that the heart of man is desperately wicked. Above all, who can know it? We are, every one of us sitting down here in this place, you are capable of killing a human being, either with a knife, or by, by, motiv by motivating somebody to do it. You have the capacity. If that heart is still, with you, is still in you. If that nature is still in you. And then, but once that has been dealt with, once that has been removed, you can now with meekness. The word of God cannot be received in pride and arrogance. It must be with meekness, with humility. The implanted word... Which is able to do what? Save your souls. But be doers of the word. And not hearers only. Deceiving yourselves. Brethren, tonight we must stop the deceit of ourselves. Because God is not fooled. God is not deceived. You may deceive a man for some time. But you are deceiving yourself for all time. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. What is the Bible saying here? When you are looking at the mirror, 
What are you supposed to do? You look at the mirror, you discover that your tie is crooked. What do you do in front of the mirror? You adjust it. You don't look at your tie crooked, you walk away and you are trying to adjust it outside of the mirror. It can't be done. So whatever changes need to take place in your life must be whilst the word of God is speaking to you. You don't close it and go away and start trying to recite it to see if you got it or not and then you are are doing a wrong thing. Whilst you are looking at it, make the corrections. Whilst you are studying the word of God, you see something that needs to be repented of, repent of it immediately. Once you are hearing the word of God, there is something that has come in your heart and you know this thing has to be corrected instantly. Forget about the rest of the message. Start talking to God about that thing. Let it be dealt with. You will catch up with the rest of the message. Don't say when I get home. As you are looking, as you are hearing the word and the word is hitting you, that is... Verse 24. For he observes himself, goes away, and really forgets what kind of man he was. 25 now. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, the word of God is, is liberating. It's not licentious, but it's liberating. Even when you have done something wrong and you are chastised, if the heart, that sinful nature has been removed, it will bring liberation to you. I remember as a young believer, one time, something happened and I, and I was feeling that God was unhappy with me. I, I hadn't read some parts of the scripture yet as at that time. And as I was feeling that, the Spirit of God led me to Hebrews chapter 12. And as I began to read, I saw where it was written. That if God does not chasten you, you are a bastard. That everyone that God regards as a son, he chastises. Come and see the joy that was in my heart. I was so overjoyed that, wow, so what is happening to me is God's discipline. I was excited. It was liberating. Many of us don't know the difference between the discipline of God because we have sinned and the encouragement of sin to keep doing evil. We need to start looking at the perfect law of liberty that sets us free to understand the relationship we have with our Father. This is the, this is the challenge that we have in the body of Christ today. Many of us come to church to meet with a pastor. Or we just come to church because we like the church. That's all. But we have not come there to have a meeting with God. We like people who tell us all kinds of stories that have no bearing on the word of God. But that has to change. If that change must take place in our lives, then we must get to the place where we recognize primarily that in being born again, it is not about having a good job, having a better life, in quotes, or whatever they are saying. It is first and foremost about a personal relationship with the Father and with Jesus Christ, the Son. In fact, I think it is John chapter 17 verse 3 that tells us that your relationship, that is your knowledge of the Father and of the Son, that is eternal life. So what are we seeking after? Do you know, I shared somewhere today, that do you know that if you have faith, you don't need a bank account. That is filled with money. You know why? Because by faith, God will meet all your needs. Not all your wants. That every time you need it, God will provide. The challenge we have is that we are still gluttonous. We are still covetous as believers. So we don't want the little that God wants to give. We are not content. There is no contentment. There is so much greed that we want a massive thing all at once. But that kind of life is not going to get you anywhere. It needs to stop. Let's continue. And is not a, so, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, do you see? He's not just looking at it, but what does he do now? 
He continues. He looks at it and continues to look at it and works on it. You don't look at it only on Sunday. Abandon it Monday through to Saturday only to pick it up again on, on Sunday. It is not going to benefit you. It is an ongoing thing. And is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the what? Work. Not of the word, but of the work. The word gets you to do certain things. As you begin to do those things, what does the Bible say? This one will be what? Blessed in what he does. Now that is, I, I, I want us to look at that background before we dive into what we want to dive into today. So let's go to the scriptures now. Romans chapter 6, verse 1 to 18. Romans chapter 6, verse 1 to 18. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we, who died to sin, live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death, therefore were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in what? Newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was what? Crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Verse 11. Likewise you also, reckon yourselves, please note that verse 11. Likewise you also, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to Christ, in, 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 to, alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God in being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under, the, under law, but under grace. What then shall we sin? Because we are not under law, but under grace. Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, no, that was in the past tense, yet you, are, you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having 
been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. To understand, because you see, what we, this Romans 6, 1 to 18, is the gamut of our discussion for today. The practice of the divine nature. This is the essence of it. So, I will give an illustration that should explain this. I want you to listen very carefully. When we went to university, in our time, you could, you could gain admission through one of three means. You could enter directly from, the, from secondary school, from Form 5. You could enter from what we call in those days, Upper 6 or Lower 6. You had lower six, you had upper six. From upper six, from lower six, you could enter, but you are going to prelim. From upper six, after you have graduated upper six, you could go direct entry. Then there were those who came in through the polytechnic system. Either OND or HND. After their OND, they came in direct entry. After HND, they also came in direct entry. So we had these three categories of um, undergrads who, come, who would come into the university. Now, whenever you observed, you would see one group that were very, very childish. Let me ask you, what group do you think that would be? The ones that came from Form 5. They were undergraduates, but they were still behaving like secondary school children. Now, let me give you the difference between secondary school and undergrad life. In secondary school, your teacher used chalkboard. I wrote everything for you on the board. You copied what your teacher wrote. In the university, nobody wrote anything on the board. There was a chalkboard, all right. The man would say something and just underline one word on the board. That's all he has said. He's emphasizing that one word. Then he continues to speak. In secondary school, you didn't form notes. In university, you had to form your notes. In secondary school, you wore uniform. In university, you didn't wear uniform. In secondary school, they rang a bell to tell you classes have changed. In university, nobody rang bell for you. In secondary school, you had to be in school, in, in school by, is it 7, 7 or 7.30? I don't know what the time is now. You have to be there from 7 or 7.30. You had morning assembly, then you broke into your classrooms. You started in your classrooms and the teacher came to you. In the university, there was nothing like that. If you like, sleep till 12 midnight. In fact, don't go to class for one week. Nobody will ask you. Why were you not? You know, in secondary school, they mark present or absent. In university, nobody marks. So there was a marked difference. Now, I'm telling this story because... I went, to, I went to university straight from Form 5. In my first year, I tried a little bit. I had one or two, uh, I think I had one carryover. I failed one course, outright. Then I think I had one or two receipts, I'm not sure. But my GPA was not so bad. It was okay. Because in, in year one, I was going, in fact, I spent more time in Lagos than in Ileife, where my university was. In year two, I was worse. In year two, my friends, who were my junior secondary school, which when I was in year one, they were writing school starts, had now graduated. They had now finished secondary school. So they were at home in Lagos. I was in year two in the university. I, I was living in Lagos. Not in, I didn't even know my classmates in the university. But here I was in Lagos attending parties, running all over the place, wild and riot. When I'm broke, I would send one of my friends with a note to my father. In the same town. That please, he came from school. Kindly send money. My father will send money to me. While I'm in Lagos, I will finish the inside. Look, I was a horrible, a horrible child. By the time I finished my year two, I was almost out of the university. My GPA 
Not cumulative now, just GPA for year two. Came to 1.2. You know what that means? That means I got D on the average in all my courses. That's the meaning of it. Why do you think that happened? Because, you remember what I said, note verse 11. It says, likewise you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I had not reckoned myself to be an undergraduate. I was still seeing myself as what? A from five students who can play around. And I almost flunked. There are many of us who are yet to reckon that we are dead with Christ. And alive to God in Christ. So even though we are born again, what are we doing? Like me, we are still living like secondary school children. That is, we are still living like the people of the world, even though we are in Christ. So when people say to us that you are not in Christ, we argue, we say, but I'm in Christ. I gave my life to Christ. That is true. But are you living like that? No. Do you understand that? We want to carry that sinful nature into living for Christ. Like I almost got kicked out of university. That's what's going to happen to you. You are going to be kicked out of Christ. Because your grades will just be falling. So what I'm saying to you is that many of you have lost years not living as Christ expected you to live. Instead of reckoning yourselves to have died with Christ and been alive to God, you are still living like the Gentiles. Remember what, when we read Ephesians chapter 4? How the Gentiles live in the darkness of, of their mind, the ignorance of their minds, in the darkness of their hearts. We, we still have malice. We still have hatred. We still have bitterness. You will see what I, what I will do to you. As, as believers, though, we are still speaking the language of the world. Carnality is reigning in our members. Because, like me, in, the, in, my, in my undergraduate days, they called me an undergraduate, but how was I living? Like a, a, a secondary school child. I wanted all the responsibility, all, all the, all the, what do you call it, the accolade of undergrad. But not the responsibilities that go with it. Many of us want to be called children of God. But not the responsibility of living like children of God. And when we are being called to order, we start quoting wrong scriptures. We say God is not interested in the heart. God is interested in the heart. Who told you that? The reason why God said concerning, what's that his name now? Eliab. That I have not chosen him, that God looks at the heart and not at the outward. Was because Samuel's way of um, assessing Eliab was the height of Eliab. Not the nature of Eliab. So God was saying to Samuel, you don't know what is inside this guy's heart. One day it will manifest. Many of you don't know what is in your heart. Until something happens. Then you do it. You say, eh? I didn't have the capacity to do this. Some of you young men have the capacity to rape a woman. But you won't know it. Until the day it happens. Some of our married sisters have the capacity of committing fornic- uh, of adultery. If that nature is not removed. It is there. That is why we see it in the church. We see people who want to just come and live on handouts. In the church. We see people who are looking for quick, quick fix deals. Running into millions, hundreds of millions. From nothing. We see people wanting to be CEO of the organization. Meanwhile, they are cleaners. They won't come to church and tell anybody that they are cleaners in the ch- in their organizations. But when they come to church and they dress, you will think they are managers or something. So when the pastor is saying, pray that you are going to become the... I don't even know where these pastors get all these nonsense prayer points that they tell people to pray. 
They are going to make it to the top. They too are praying that they will get to the top. A cleaner. You don't, you don't even have school certificates. But you want to make it to the top. How does that work? No, God can do anything. God does not do crazy things. You don't know anything. They'll just carry you and, and put you there. You want to damage the, 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 the establishment. So we need, to get, we need to get our acts together. That's what the Bible is saying here. Stop acting like I acted. Look at, look at verse 4. It says, Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in what? Newness of life. If any man be in Christ, what has happened? He's a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. If indeed we died with him, then when we are raised up with him, we are going to be walking in a newness. There is a new life that we are walking in. Not the old life of sin. Which is why he, he admonishes us. I, I read again. Verse 4 now. And verse 5 rather. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly, as sure as we died with him, we also shall be in the likeness of his what? Resurrection. There's a resurrected life that comes from the crucified life. The crucified life is the life that died. The resurrected life is the life that what? Was raised up. The crucified life died. And the resurrected life came up. The crucified life was the old life of sin. The resurrected life is the newness of life in Christ Jesus. So we must see that newness of life. We mustn't be keeping malice. We mustn't be getting unnecessarily angry. And even when we get angry, we cannot tell people that you annoyed me. We will hide it. Because that's how we live before. There's no difference between us and the witch. Whom you offended and is keeping quiet. Waiting for the day you fall into his or her trap. To do you ill. Understand that you are no longer that old man. You must understand that. Look at verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man was what? Crucified with him. Knowing this, that you graduated from secondary school. You had your school cert. You gained admission to university. What are you still doing trying to be a, school, a, a student? You are no longer putting on uniform, alright. But you are living like a from five student. Even though you are an undergraduate. That's what he's saying here. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin. The moment we died, we were crucified along with Christ. What happened? A dead man does not have feelings again. What is it that makes us to commit sin? Is lost. Do you understand that? Which is why in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 24, uh, verse, uh, 24 and 25, that we read last week, it says, those who have, yes, those who are Christ, they have crucified the lost along with what? The affections or the passions and the lost. Once you are dead, you have no affections anymore. You have no lost. You remember I gave the illustration of a man who was a, a boy among, around town. Now he's dead. We lay him here. His old conquests come. All naked. Is he going to get up? He's not going to get up. He's dead. So, 
These passions that were crucified with Christ should no longer be aroused in us. We shouldn't get angry to the point of picking up a knife as we used to do. I say, you don't know where I'm from. I will show you that I'm from such and such place. And carry a machete and start pushing people around the place. And you say, you're a believer. We should no longer allow the passions of greed and covetousness in our members. You must understand. I go back to the university example. You are no longer a secondary school student. You are what? An undergraduate. You are no longer an unbeliever. You are a believer. So in verse 11, it says, Likewise you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Consider yourself. Do an accounting. And reckon, you are no longer a secondary school student. You are an undergraduate. You are no longer a sinner. You are what now? The righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Consider that. There are certain things that, you, that are not expected of you anymore. And then it goes on. In verse 12 it says, Therefore, because this has happened, and you are reckoning yourself in that way, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its loss, its desires. Sin has desires. Remember what God told Cain. He said, why, is your face, why, is your, why has your countenance fallen? If you do good, will you not be accepted? If you are doing what is good, will I not accept you? But look, sin is at the door. Its desire is to take over your life. But you can, you can be its master. You can have dominion over sin. You can rule over sin if you do what is right. What did Cain do? Instead of going to repent and do what God said he should do, he went to discuss with Abel. In the course of the discussion, what happened? He killed his brother. Who knows? Maybe Cain told Abel, can you imagine? Hear what God is saying to me. He says, I should go and do right. Why why am I doing this? And Abel would have said, "Ah, ah, are you going to quarrel with God? Is it not God? Go and do right. Say, eh, you are even siding with him. Hibwa! Hibwa! He don't kill him. Do you, do you see what happened to Cain? How did the Bible describe Cain? He said he was a murderer. For he hated his brother. What was inside Cain's heart was not so much the rejection of his things, but the acceptance, the fact that God accepted Abel's own and not his. And his senior. Have you seen how the heart of man works? So out of envy, he killed his brother. Was his brother doing evil? Yeah, he killed his brother. That's how many of us are. We're in church. We're laughing and doing all kinds of things. After service. After, after service. As we are walking out. They have killed somebody else. And he heard the message. He allowed sin to have dominion over him. If you know that you don't know how to control your mouth, you should be praying to God now, this instant, and Lord, help me. If you know there is any, there's iniquity in your heart, there's ought against any of your brothers in your heart, this is the time to say, Lord, help me to purge my heart of these things. I want this thing to be practical. That's why I'm not in a hurry to rush over it. Because if we are not careful, we will, we will live throughout this lifetime and go to hell. Because we have not manifested the nature of God. Only the nature of the flesh. Verse 13. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. But present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead. And your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Please. 
Remember in Romans chapter 12 verse 1. It says, therefore, present yourselves eh, as good. Please, who is doing the presenting? You. He's saying here that if you are still living in sin as a believer, you actually presented yourself to sin. And if you are living right, then you presented yourself to God. So who have you been presenting yourself to? When you are angry at somebody, who do you go to for counsel? You go to Satan or you go to Christ? Because when you are angry and you go to Satan and you go to Christ, what the Lord said to Cain is what the Lord will say to you. Why has your countenance fallen? Why are you rough? Why are you angry? Sin is at the door. You can master sin. But no, you want to live out that anger. So even though you have heard the word of God, God is saying to you, forgive him. In fact, don't threat, don't discuss it again. You say, no. Rock on. You know you did this thing to me. You did not apologize. And God help you that you have another madman like yourself. You say, apologize for what? What did I do that you need apology for? I think there's something wrong with your head. Don't you know, do, no, do, no, do, no, do. Igbao. You don't break your head. Yes. The next thing we find you that they told, that the Holy Spirit told you, you are in handcuffs, in police station, sitting in a cell. What is the charge when they look at the charge board? Murder. Say, eh? I'm sure if you hear that one of us here is in police station for, and they say, for what? You say, murder. Will you not run away from that person? Did you think he was capable of killing somebody? But it was what was in his heart that he did not allow God to remove. Do you, do you see what we're talking about here? He presented himself to sin. And sin used him to perform unrighteous deeds. And he's ending up in the police station paying for it. Let's go to verse 14 now. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under law but under grace. Remember when we were young believers. They made us recite that scripture. For sin shall not have dominion over me. And we are all young people now. You know, and I think my wife should be able to remember that one. We were, we, we were made to quote it. That when in time sin comes in, for sin shall not have dominion over me. We quoted and quoted and quoted and quoted. But it's not the quotation that makes it. Do you understand? The quotation helps you to remember who you are and where you are. I am a university undergraduate. What does it do to me? It reminds me that I'm an undergraduate, not a secondary school. When I'm doing secondary school stuff, I am reminding myself, you are, but you are not supposed to be doing that. So it is a check for me. But not the, the reciter doesn't do much. If I don't even give, if I don't listen to myself. Verse 15, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present, remember who is presenting himself? You. Do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey? You are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. Have you seen it there? So when you heard somebody say, slap him, slap him, who was speaking to you? If you slap the man, whose slave are you now? Do, 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 do you see how it works? Why is that I say slap him? The Holy Spirit comes and says, leave him alone and go away. If you follow the Holy Spirit, whose slave are you now? You are, you are God's slave. Because what you have done now is considered a righteous act. And then it goes on in verse 17. It says, but God be thanked 
that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine in which you were delivered, uh, to which you were delivered. You were slaves of sin before. Do you understand that? It's in past tense. Now, what are you doing? You are now a slave to that form of doctrine, that teaching that delivered you from that old life. That's what it's saying. You have been delivered into a new life. You are now a slave to this new teaching that is directing you on what to do. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. What does that mean? If you are a slave of righteousness, what does that mean? What does it mean now? No, eh? No. That is it, but there's something about when you are a slave to something, what did we read it now? You are exactly, if you are a slave to righteousness, what are you doing now? You are obeying God. So if you are not obeying God, then you are a slave to sin. Romans chapter 7, verse 1 to 6. Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives? For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who has raised, who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. I need no argument. I need no plea. It is enough that Jesus died, and that what? He died for me. What is being said here? He's in the illustration of marriage. As long as a woman is married to a man. Now this also determines the matter of divorce. If that woman is divorced from that man, the man and the woman must stay unmarried. If the woman should marry another person, what does she become? An adulteress. If the man should marry another person, what does he become? An adulterer. For as long as your spouse is alive, the Bible does not consider that spouse not to be your spouse. So you cannot marry another person as long as that man is alive. So what is being said here? For as long as the sinful nature is alive, you cannot be married to Christ. Do you understand? As long as that sinful nature is still alive, you cannot have the divine nature. So the sinful nature must first be killed. Then you are free to marry Christ. Do you understand that? You cannot. You see, many of us go to church, they say, I'm born again, I'm this. We know you are born again. But the question is, has the nature of sin died? No. So how do you marry Christ? While the nature of sin is alive. You have become an adulterer. Do you understand? An adulterer is a dishonest man or dishonest woman. Because you are cheating on your other partner. But when your other partner has died, you are free to marry another person. Do you understand that now? Which is what is being said here. That adulteresses in the church. Remember what James said in James chapter 4. He said many of you, you ask, but you don't receive. In fact, you are fighting. Getting angry. Getting bitter. And you wouldn't even ask. And then when you even ask at all, it is to consume it on your own lust. So you adulterers and adulteresses, don't you know that friendship with the world 
is enmity with God or enmity against God. The man who says he who desires to be friends, he, he doesn't, he, he has not become a friend though. He just has the desire. He is, a, he is already an enemy of God. So if the sinful nature has not died, you are an adulterer. Which is why we see the church the way the church is today. The church is worldly. Because the people who are running the church are worldly. The life of Christ is not in them. They are slaves to Satan. They are slaves to the world. They are slaves to carnality, slaves to the flesh. So the only way we can run the church is how? By the way our master, the flesh, the world and Satan dictate to us. So we can have a program and bring a comedian. We don't care his lifestyle. We just bring a comedian. He talks rubbish. And we are all there raising up our hands and clapping and laughing. It doesn't matter that that girl rose up from the bed of fornication. Oh, her voice is a sweet voice. Every time she sings, I just, I have goose pimples. I enjoy praise and worship. For your information, praise and worship is not meant to be enjoyed by you. It is to be enjoyed by God. It is to God that we sing, not to ourselves. So I don't know where you say, I didn't enjoy. Who are you to enjoy praise and worship? Is it for you? We didn't sing for you. We were singing from our hearts to God. Even with a croaky voice, as long as it is from a pure heart, God is pleased. Let's read verse 5 and 6. Verse 5. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we, what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. The law and the letter are one and the same. Do you understand? Thou shalt not kill. That's all we understand. That when you take a knife to kill somebody, that is what you are committing. But when Christ came, what did he do? He came to give us the newness of the Spirit. That if you hate somebody from your heart, you have committed murder. If you call somebody an idiot, you have committed murder. Because what you have done is you have given that dog a bad name so as to kill it. Do you understand that? So as a Christian, you are not supposed to call people names. So we need to be very careful. That's what the Bible is saying here. The, the, the law caused certain passions in us. But we felt that if I can, as long as I have not carried the knife to kill him, I have not killed him yet. Meanwhile, in, in your heart you are, you are thinking of the best way to kill the man. Thinking of how to kill him without killing him. If I, if I can, maybe, maybe if, if somebody, you know, start thinking things. That's how people get into witchcraft. What can we do to puncture his tire so that they cannot trace to us? How can we, how can we plan for armed robbers to go and attack his house? You start talking, ah, that man get this, or that man get that, or that. You say it in places where people will want to go and attack him. As far as the Lord, as far as God is concerned, many of us don't know, but do you know that your motive is what God is interested in? Not necessarily your action, but what, what was on, what was in your heart? In Romans chapter 8, verse 1 to 4, we begin to see our deliverance in practical terms. By the way, please, I want you to go home and read from chapter 5 of Romans to the end of chapter 8. It's a major discussion. Go and read it. If you have questions, you can send them to me later. But read the whole of chapter 5, 6, 7, and 8. You will see God dealing with this issue of the nature of sin in man. In Romans chapter 8, verse 1 to 4, it says, there is therefore now no condemnation. You need to read to the end, towards the end of chapter 7 to get what, what he's saying about here. He said of himself, Paul was right, he said of himself, that when I want to do what is good, 
I find myself doing what is evil. I discover that ah, even though I really want to do what is good, I discover that I'm not powerful enough to overcome it. It says there's something else at work here. It is sin in me that is overpowering me to do evil, even though I know that that evil is bad to do. So, he now asks, I say, who is going to deliver me from this body of sin? This sinful nature, who is going to deliver me? That's where he now comes to. He's, I think he ends by saying, thanks be to God, because he has given me Christ Jesus. And so, in, chapter, in verse 1 of Romans, chapter, he says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. If you look at that first verse, I thought, if he said, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, it is enough. But he adds, in fact, I'm told that some translations don't even add what is next. Who do not walk according to the flesh. What does that mean? It is possible to be in Christ and be walking according to the flesh. So he said, those people who are in Christ and are not walking according to the flesh, but are walking according to the Spirit, there is no condemnation to them. That you, cannot, you cannot hold them, um, what's it, find them guilty on anything. The law cannot find them guilty. Because they won't abuse anybody. They won't plot killing for anybody. They won't have evil desires in their heart against anybody. In verse 2 says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus had made me free from the law of sin and death. This is the practice of it. I gave you the illustration of Secondary school student and university undergrad, right? Let me give you another illustration. You have the law of gravity. If you jump up, what happens? You come to the ground. That's a law. But there is a law that makes a plane that is carrying over 400 people or 300 people to, to stay suspended. It's the law of thermodynamics. That law has defeated what? The law of gravity. But that can only happen as long as that plane has fuel in it, if the fuel empties, what happens to the plane? It's coming down. Or if anything happens to that aircraft that will make it to lose its, um, what do you call it, its lift, what happens? It comes crashing down. There is a law of the Spirit at work in you and I. That law is effective insofar as the Spirit of God is where? In you. And as long as you are listening to the Spirit of God. Do you understand? Stop listening to the Spirit of God. What happens? The law of sin and death takes effect again. So there is a law or a power or a force. That's what that word law means. A power, a force. Sin exerts a force on you. It puts pressure. Many of you know what I'm talking about. You find yourself under pressure. Go and visit that man. It's as if he's pressuring you. Meanwhile, that visit that man is to commit fornication. Go to that place. Go to that place. That place you are going to is to go and drink beer. Do you understand? Sin has that power. And you are weak against it. But what did Christ do when he died? He released a new power. What I call a law enforcement power. The spirit of God. As, as the law of the spirit is trying to force you, the law, the, as the law of sin is trying to force you, the law of the spirit comes into effect. And what does it do to, to sin? It shuts it down. Do you understand that now? The fact that you have been crucified to Christ does not mean that sin will not come and toy. That there is a great, he's saying that you have a greater law to put down sin and deal with it anytime it wears its head. So that you are no longer a slave to sin. Do you understand? You have been set free from sin. Do armed robbers lawful, but with their gun, can they not take things from you? If you were a police officer, armed to the teeth, and an armed robber stops you on the road, will you not be laughing? He'll be looking at the man that, you are stopping me. 
once he sees your gun and he sees the size of your gun, I think he knows better than to, to stay. He will run into the bush and you are going. That is what you have. Sin is like an arm robber. The Spirit of God is like that law enforcer with a bigger gun. The minute he comes and he sees that the Spirit of God is at work in you, what happens to it? Bam! It takes off. So, not to listen to the Spirit of God, not to yield to the Spirit of God. Who is, who is fooling who now? You are the one deceiving yourself. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in, in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to what? This, he qualifies that thing again. Then the law, by the way, I've heard many people say the law has been cancelled. The law has not been abrogated. Thou shalt not kill is still in force. Thou shalt not steal is still in force. Honor the Lord your God is still in force. Honor your father and your mother is still in force. What was abrogated was the mechanism by which when you sin, you can be made right with God through the sacrifice of an animal. That was taken away. Why? Because Christ came. Now, when Christ came, he did more than removing the animal sacrifices. He also paid the price of sin once and for all. With animal sacrifice, every time you sin, you have to kill an animal. You don't have to kill Christ every time. He died once and for all. Now, having died, when we sin, therefore, we can plead the blood that was shed on our account concerning sin. Not only that, Christ also, because of his, through his death and resurrection, has given us the residue of the Spirit. So that by that Spirit, we have the power over sin. Which leads to death. Do you, do you get the point now? So that every single requirement of the law, as long as you are obedient to the Spirit of God, as long as you are yielded to the Spirit of God, you will fulfill it. But when you are not following the Spirit of God, you will run foul of the law. So many people now wake up and say, we are not under law, we are under grace. It is true, we are under grace. But you can only be under grace when you are yielded to the Spirit of God. If you are not yielded to the Spirit of God, you, you don't have grace. You have what is a very disgraceful thing called, what you are calling in quotes, grace. The Bible tells us, I think it's in that Titus chapter 2, from verse 11 or so to 14, that the grace of God that appeared to all men, what does it do? It teaches us that what? That we should do away with worldliness and ungodliness. So how can you have grace that is still teaching you to do whatever you want to do? Grace doesn't do that. Instead, grace teaches us that we should now live right, soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. How do you live righteously? By following the word of God. By allowing the spirit of God to lead you. Now, let's go to Romans chapter 8, verse 5 to 8. In, in 5 to 8, he is speaking of Christians. Please note that. For those who live according to the flesh, what do they do? They set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. So, there are Christians, so-called, who set their minds on what? The things of the flesh. What are the things of the flesh? Lost. What are these things of the flesh? Now, I need answers. You remember the works of the flesh? Hatred. Hatred. Yeah, thank you. Their minds are set on those things. And then, their minds are set on worldliness. I want a car. I want a house. I want this. Not for any spiritual purpose. Just so that they can be proud. They can show that they have arrived. 
But those who live according to the Spirit, they th- what are the things of the Spirit? How to show love. How to be at peace with your neighbors. How to win souls of the unsaved, regardless of their faith, of their belief, of their race, of their color, or complexion, or gender, or educational status. Just go and bring them in. The things of eternal value. The things of the Spirit. The Spirit of God cares about the things of eternal value. Not the things of, uh, what do you call it now? No, nominal things. Verse 6. For to be carnally minded is death or leads to death. But to be spiritually minded is life or leads to life and peace. So then, sorry, verse 7. Because the carnal mind is what? Enmity. We've discussed this before. What does that mean? What does that word enmity? It's hostile. No matter how much he sings, I love you. He's hostile to God and the word of God. What, 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 what is it? Where, where, where is he written? Show me in the Bible. There's no fear of God in that man. No fear of the word of God. He says enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God. Have you seen law there? Nor indeed can be, he cannot be subject. No matter how much he tries. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. The essence of having the divine nature is so that we can please God. Do you understand? When you have the divine nature, you can please God. When you don't have the divine nature, you cannot please God. So what is saying? Those who are in the flesh, those who are carnal, those who have not crucified the flesh, they cannot please God. Even if they attend church every day, 24-7, they can't please God. Even if they pray from morning till night, seven days a week, four weeks a month or five weeks a month, depending on the, on the, on the length of the month, let them fast for 40 days without food, drinking only water. They still will not please God. Why? Inside their heart, what is happening there? They are carnal. All their mind is of the things of the flesh. Remember, when Peter took Jesus aside to rebuke him, that, ah, why are you trying to frighten these people now? You cannot die. What did the Lord Jesus say to him? He said, get thee behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. For you, you thou severest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. Even though it was Simon Peter, it was God, the Lord Jesus was hearing the voice of Satan. It is Satan that will tell you, you, can, you should not suffer. You cannot suffer. Suffer for what? That's Satan. The Bible says you can suffer for the sake of God, for the sake of Christ. You can suffer according to the will of God. Isn't the Bible? So when somebody says, what are you suffering like this? Suffer, what kind of survival is survival? It is not God speaking to you. It is not the Spirit of God. It is Satan speaking to you. You should be able to say, get thee behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. If it delights God that I suffer, I'm happy. The Lord Jesus went to the cross. Why? Because it was pleasing to God for him to go to the cross. Do you think it was pleasing to him? But it was pleasing to God. Verse 9 to 10 of Romans 8. <coughs> but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, if it is true that the Spirit of God is in you, then you cannot be of the flesh. Do you understand? Your mind cannot, your, 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 your desire cannot be of things of the flesh. Your desire can only be of things of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God is in you. Remember last week we mentioned, by their fruit you shall know them. That is the fruit that tells us about the tree, right? Your desire is what tells you who is in charge. If your desire is about this world, the things of this world, getting rich, 
and all those things. If that is your desire, I can tell you who is controlling you. It's not the Spirit of God. But if your desire is to please God at every turn, even when it means that you are going to be shamed, you are going to feel shamed in the flesh towards the men around, then it is the Spirit of God that is indeed in you. And then what does it say? Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. One translation says, he is not a Christian at all. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. You see, this is our body. It will die. Why will it die? Because of that sin of Adam. But the spirit will continue to live. However, when, we now, when, when the end of this age comes, what happens to that body? It will be given a new resurrected body so that it can now be, it can now be joined to our spirit. But the way this body is as it is, See, that is why it becomes dust. But the resurrected body cannot become dust anymore. The life of God is intertwined with that resurrected body. Christ is our forerunner to prove to us that it is possible to be dead and still have a body. Because when Christ resurrected, you know, he showed, he said, touch me. This is not not emptiness, this is my body. But it's a spiritual body now. This physical body of ours will die, will drop to the ground. But not to worry, that's what it means, he said, if somebody dies today, as long as the Spirit of God was operating in him, don't worry. He is alive with God. All that you are seeing is what? A body that cannot enter heaven. That body has to go and is buried or disintegrated or whatever happens to the body. But on resurrection morning, that body will gather again. But this time around, it's going to be a resurrected body and free of sin, illnesses or whatever. If the man died lame, that body that is getting will never be lame. That body is going to be whole 100%. That's why in the millennial reign, there will be nothing like sickness. There will be nothing like disease. Animals will not be able to attack any human being because of the resurrection. Because of Christ reigning supreme on the earth. There will be no room for sin until the end of 1000 years. Then, Satan returns. And by permission of God, he will now tempt people. And you'll be shocked how many people will follow him. People will still follow him. Of course, not those who, have, who died in Christ. Too. Those ones, no, those ones are not, they're not. But the people on the earth who were not destroyed during the, that battle, they will still continue. To, they will live 1,000 years. There will be peace throughout the earth. There will be not one military weapon made, produced anywhere. All military factories will turn into manufacturing centers to produce goods that people will eat. But after that 1,000 years of peace, Without war, when Christ is reigning, Satan is released to come and tempt men again. And he will succeed. People have lived 1,000 years of peace. They will still follow Satan. By the grace of God, you will not follow Satan. So this is the issue here. If you are not dead to sin, you cannot bear fruit unto righteousness. You cannot bear fruit. The fruit of the Spirit cannot manifest. All that can manifest are the works of the flesh. Right? That takes us to John chapter 12, verse 24. We want to discuss a very serious matter at this point. I'm not sure whether we should continue or, or stop here. Let's continue. Oh, let's continue. Let's continue. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains what? Alone. But if it dies, what happens? It produces much grain. Now, I need to... Remember when we were discussing John 15, verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you. That you go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. Remember last week? That we said that that fruit you are bringing forth 
is what? Is internal fruit, is character. Is not bringing people to Christ. Do you understand? This is you. Now, in John chapter 12 verse 24, we find something else at work here. God cannot plant you, note please, God cannot plant you if you have not yet died to the flesh. If you have not yet died to the world. If you have not yet died to sin. You cannot be planted by God anywhere meaningful. You remain in the church. You remain going to church, hearing the word of God until sin dies. Until the flesh dies. Until the world is crucified to you. Do you understand that? It is after that has happened that God can now pick you up and say, Now, I need to take you somewhere to be planted. For you to be planted. You see the evangelism we are doing now is training ground. This going, go out and we are training you. That's what we are doing. And yet, many of us are not doing it. A lot of us, very easily, you know, because I don't ask, we have thrown it away. You don't know that you have been, your heart has been tested. Your faithfulness to God has been tested. Your sincerity before God has been tested. Is it me? You think, you're doing, you, think you're, you think I'm going to mark? I'm not marking you, it's God. God wants to look at you whether you have died to yourself. You have not died. So you can't be planted anywhere. You are only going to remain in a church. You will go from one church to the other, go from one church to the other. You are not going to be of use to God. But when you have brought forth the fruit of the nature of God, then God will now pick the seed from that fruit. Right? And go and plant. So God can now pick you, for example, and take you to China and plant you in China. Amongst the heathen who don't wear clothes, you'll not be looking at their nakedness and say, whoa, wow, what is that? Ah, I didn't know that I was suffering in Nigeria. Thank you, Lord, for bringing me here. No. You won't be moved by that. Why? You are dead. Do you understand? And when they see that you are not moved by those things, they are wondering, what has happened? You have been planted by God. You are now growing. What are you now going to produce? That nature of God in you. People will look at you and say, why does this guy not get offended? They beat you. Because you are preaching Christ, you get up. and say, glory be to God. What can we do to stop this guy? They say, kill him. And they are stoning you to kill. You say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. Do you know what has happened? You are producing fruit. I believe very strongly that Saul of Tarsus was produced by the life of Stephen when he was stoned. Remember Paul said, I was there when they were stoning him. I believe strongly that what Stephen did produced Saul. So from day one, Saul knew that there was nothing wrong in dying for Christ. Many of us cannot yet be planted by God. This is, the, this is where God is going to. Where we can be planted in a school. Planted in your neighborhood. Planted in, a, in, a, in, in, in an organization. Planted as a member of House of Rep. Planted as a senator. Planted as a governor. Planted as the president or a minister. Planted. And the way you are living your life, you are going to be drawing men without preaching the gospel to Christ. Why? Because they have seen somebody who is not moved by what moves other men. And they are wondering, where do you come from? But in a situation where we are moved by private jets, we are moved by crowd, we are moved by big buildings, we are moved by driving jeep, we are moved by the title that we carry. Has the man died? No. Even if he calls himself Archbishop, 
What souls do you think is bringing to what souls do you think would be in his church? They are souls that have the flesh in them. Because he himself has not crucified the flesh. Do you understand? So such a man, God is not taking him to plant. God is perfectly happy where he is. And be grooming him and trying to remove this, trying to remove that. Sometimes he will get angry with God. He will quarrel with God. He will go away. He will come back. I say, well, at least he has come back. Let's be removing the things. Small, small. Let's be removing it. So you ask the man, are you making progress? Small, small. And he can make progress until he enters into the ground. You see that, that hymn? Must I go and empty-handed? That's how the man will go empty-handed. It is true that he spoke to people that were daily saved. Now, do you see where, why Christ said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, not those who say, Lord, Lord, will enter, but those who do the will of my Father which is in heaven. In 22, it says, on that day, many will come to me and say, but we, we prophesied in your name. We, what else now? We cast out demons in your name. We healed in your name. We did this in your name. He said, then will I say to them, depart from me. You workers of iniquity, you did what I did not authorize you to do. They were never planted. Do you understand now? If God planted them, they will produce the fruit of Christ. But what they produced were evil men. I've given you the story of Smith Wigglesworth and his wife. The wife was the one who was heavy on church. But a, a God-fearing woman. She continued to go to church. One day she went to church and came back late. Smith Wigglesworth had, had, had locked his door. She slept at the foot of the door in cold England. In the morning when the man came to open the door, she greeted him. Good morning, Smithy, my husband. She went into the kitchen, prepared his breakfast, and served him. The man broke down and died. She did not preach to him. Today we have the joy of, of, of reading about the ministry of Smith Wigglesworth. Why? Because of the wife. The wife was planted in his life. After he began to stand with God. The wife was taken away. Her job was done. Now, picture a Christian woman today who went to vigil, night vigil, came back at 4 a.m. The husband had locked the door and she's banging. I have closed my door. Go away. Come back at 6 o'clock when I open the door. If the woman even goes back into the car or is lying down on that place, do you know what's happening in her head? Which stone should I use to break his head once she opens that door? What hammer can I use to break down this door? Let me pick my phone first. Let me, if I do anything wrong, let me call pastor. Pastor, can you imagine this man that you say you want to make minister? Remember the man that we're praying about? He has locked me out. Oh. Sister, start coming. Is that not what the pastor will say? Sister, don't mind him. Start coming. God help pastors. But let's assume the woman stays there. And by six o'clock, the man opens the door. Yeah, yeah. And that's the, look at him. And I was praying for you yesterday. Look, let me pray another prayer for you you know what I'm talking about? God punish you! Foolish man. I don't even know how I married you. Look at, look at. I went to cry to God for your business. And look at what you did. You locked me out. You, was, you better go to the kitchen and cook your food. Me, I'm going to sleep. I didn't sleep well. My body's paining me. How many of you know what I'm talking about? That's what we have. And yet, you want to produce fruit. I'm going to show you some things. That when... You allow your life to be crucified. And you allow the resurrection life to come up of you. You are going to be fruitful effortlessly. Mark chapter 4, 26 to 29. And he that is Jesus said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. 
and should sleep by night and rise by day. And the seed, and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. Have you seen it there? For the earth yields crops by itself. Do you understand that? God plants you in an organization. No matter how horrible that organization is, that organization, if you were dead, would produce in you what is required. Do you understand? He said the earth yields crops by itself. First what? The blade. Then the head. After that, the full grain in the head. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Who is investing that soul? God! How did the soul come about? Because you died. When they plant you in a corrupt organization, and you have not died to needs for money, and you have accommodation needs, will you not be corrupt? Can you produce any fruit? You cannot. Is it a man? Picture, because I've, I've heard this a lot, and I believe it. A so-called, in quotes, Christian police officer. He will go and meet a non-Christian and say, I know that fellow. Now, minister for my church, he get money. 100,000. That 100,000. 19 are my own, 10 are your own. But I go tell him, say, now you know agree. Make you no agree, oh. no reduce half. If you reduce, your money don't go. So, come on to bro. Hmm. I spoke to that man. He's not listening, no. He said you have to bring 100,000. Who should be telling you not to pray bribe? Is it not your Christian brother? What is he telling you? Pay. Who do you think is benefiting from it? That man is him. After he has cheated you and collected the money and you yourself like a fool because you, you went to pay the bribe, can he bring that police officer? That is friend who collected the money, who gave, collected the money, took his 10,000 and gave him 90,000. Can he bring that man to church? I'm asking now. When they have fellowship in the morning and they are clapping, praise the Lord, his brother, is that his colleague? Do quick, do quick, maybe we'll go walk. You know what walk is talking about? Let's go to the main road and start collecting money. He, he said, oh, hurry up, this is not ceremony, too much, it's too long. Yes, because they've seen the fruit. You have not died. Do you understand what we're talking about here now? Because if you have died in that organization, forget about all the plotting they are plotting. It won't harm you. When they hurt you, what will happen? The Bible says, you will live by the word of God that says, rejoice when men persecute you and despitefully use you. You will rejoice. They will see you rejoicing and be wondering, what is moving this man? What has happened? The blade has come out. They do something, do this, hack you, hack that. They even put your name for retrenchment. When the list finally comes back, your name is removed from the place. Fear is given them that, ah, who you know for head office? The, the grain, the air is coming out. After a while, they say, oh boy, you need to follow that man, go church. The harvest is coming. I'll give you examples. Remember Daniel? When they told, when they said nobody should pray in any name except the name of the king. And Daniel refused to pray in the name of the king. They prayed to God. And they arrested Daniel and took him to the lion's den. That, we are talking of a man that, that, Daniel was so dead to sin, to the flesh and to the world that they were saying, what can we do to entrap him? He doesn't collect bribe. He is not looking for a new house. He's not looking for a new car. The small donkey he's, 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 he's climbing on top is okay. You tell him, we'll give you a camel with two humps or a faster horse. He doesn't move him. He's not moved by those things. They are wearing fine apparel. He's wearing his normal clothes. He's not moved by it. So they said, what can we do to entrap this guy? They said, there's only one way. Stop him from praying to his God. He will fall into your trap. And they did it. And indeed fell into your cause. 
Bible says when Daniel knew they had signed it, what did he do? He opened the curtain. I'm not doing anything hiding so that you can see. And he bowed and prayed to God facing the east. And they came for him. He said, oh king, look at what has happened though. He said, nobody should pray. He said, yeah, yeah, yes. Daniel has prayed. And the king realized that he had been entrapped. And he said, no, it's the law of the Medo-Persians. It cannot be changed. The king was so sorry. And they put Daniel hand and bound and threw him into the lion's den. The king could not sleep that night. Because he knew he was the one who caused the whole thing. What did he do in the morning? He ran. Oh, Daniel. Beloved man of God or something like that. Has the Lord whom you serve delivered you? The king himself has some faith. Then I said, oh yes. The Lord whom I serve sent, an, sent angels and they shot the mouth of the lion. Come, come, come out quickly. They brought Daniel out. And then he enacted another law of the Persians. That said, when you, when you tell a lie against a man and the man is found not guilty, you who lied against him, you go in. So they grabbed the people, their children, their wives in lions there. The Bible says before they landed on the ground, the lions had already started crunching them. What did the king do? Instantly he passed the law that the God of Daniel is to be worshipped. Do you, do you see how it works now? How come we don't see that happening in organizations? We don't see wicked men, cruel CEOs, kneeling down and crying for God. I once worked in an organization where we had fellowship. It didn't matter what your faith was. You have to be at that fellowship. Nobody forced you to be born again or anything. One day a sermon was preached. After the sermon, as was usual, the altar call was made. And this Muslim ran to the front. A driver. He ran to the front and gave his life. The officer that the driver uh, used to drive now asked the driver that. What happened? He said, I, didn't, I, I was wondering why he was talking, 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 talking. I was waiting for him to give the altar call. I wanted to give my life to Christ. That day that man became a Christian, was given a Bible. The next Sunday, he carted his entire family, a Muslim, to church. He changed that day. That day, instantly, he became a Christian. He didn't say, oh, if I don't go to the mosque, some people will. He didn't care what happened to him. He became a Christian instantly. What happened there? Some people died. And they produced that fruit. What is happening to us today? In our organizations, we are the ones giving Criminals, the names and phone numbers of pastors. Hello, hello. Ah, pastor, how are you? Uh, my name is uh, Emeka. I'm calling from Shell. How is the ministry? Yes, there's a contract that needs to be done. Uh, yes, and we need you to bring your company so that we can. Who gave you? Who, how did they know that you're a pastor? Is a Christian that gave your number to that head. What fruit can they produce? Nothing. Nothing. That brings us. To the parable of the sower. A sower, Luke chapter 8, verse 5 to 8. Luke 8, 5 to 8. I'll tell the, we'll tell the parable and then we'll tell the meaning. A sower went out to sow his seed. As he sowed seed, as he sowed, some fell by the wayside and it was trampled down. And the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on rock and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. But others fell on good ground, sprang up and yielded a crop a hundredfold. When he had said these things, he cried, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's look at the interpretation. Verse 11 to 15. Now, the parable is this. The seed is what? The word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts. Lest they should believe and be saved. There are many of us who are not hearing the word of God. We come to church, we sit down, we hear the word. 
But nothing happens. The devil, it's as if you didn't, as if they didn't preach that word in your church. Satan snatched it away instantly. No fruitfulness, they are not saved. Verse 13. But the ones on the rock are those who when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root. Who believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. These ones hear the word. You become rejected. That's all they want to hear. Because they are shallow. They have not built their Christianity to any depth. Then when persecution comes, when trouble comes, all kinds of things begin to happen to them. Christians are running into all kinds of crazy things. The things that we ascribe to the world, we see them among Christians. Why? Because they are shallow. They receive the word with joy, but they had no depth. They did not study the word of God. They were not in prayer. The only time they prayed was in church. The only time they read the Bible was in church. And when they even read and don't understand, they don't ask questions. So when challenges of life come, they are shallow. They just wither, fall away. You believe, where, brother, brother, where are you? Pastor, don't worry, don't worry. I will will come to church another time. I'm not feeling okay now. Mm, My body body is not okay. Uh, I don't understand. Pastor, I don't understand. It's a lie. They are saying to themselves, it's a waste of time going to church. If you read the, the account of this in Matthew, in Matthew's Gospel, it says that when persecution comes because of the word, Every time you hear the word of God, that word that you have heard will test you. It will try you. You will face challenges that what you heard is what you should apply. But we don't. We just fall apart. Many of us will hear the message that says, God says do not borrow. We will leave the church and an opportunity to borrow money will come. Interest free. Borrow. Don't worry. We have forgotten what we heard. We are moved by the challenges that we are facing immediately. We go and borrow that money. Even though we heard God say don't borrow. We make an excuse and we borrow the money. And then we run into trouble. That's the, that's the cost. No death. Brethren, we need to dig deep in God. By the word of God. Verse 14. Now the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life. And bring no fruit to maturity. How will I eat? What will I wear? What will happen? To, you, are, you are in the year two. 2016. You are already thinking of what will happen to you in 2024. If this, if does, are you sure you'll be alive by 2024? Cares. You, the desire to be rich. The hunger for wealth. You, you want to go to this program because they say you are going to be rich. You are happy. Hey, hey, hey. It chokes out the true word of God that could have given you life and there is no fruit. You see the first three, they can never be planted by God. They can only be kept in a holding place like the church. To be hearing the word of God until they get to a place of maturity. But that God will take them and put them where he desires. He can't. They will disgrace God. In fact, they can't bear any fruit. Because they themselves are not fruitful. In verse 15 it says, But the ones that fell on the good ground, that's the good heart, a heart that has been changed, a heart that they've removed the sinful nature and the divine nature is there. Having heard the word with a noble and good they keep it and bear fruit with what? Patience. Patiently bring forth fruit. Patiently bring forth fruit. Beloved, the first three hearts were the old sinful nature. Nothing had changed. Because if indeed the nature of God had been in them, for example, the man who was shallow cannot be shallow. Do you understand? He would be deep. The man with the cares of this world, remember what we looked at in Matthew, in Romans chapter 8, verse 5 to 8. Who is the man? Whose concern is with the things of the flesh? Eh? 
the man who is carnal. What of the spiritual man? The things of the spirit. So the man who has cares and, ha- and is thinking of riches and the pleasures of this life. Please, what kind of heart is he? Is his the carnal mind? Do you understand that now? So only the spiritual life, the spiritual uh, nature, the divine nature, can produce the fruit that God is looking for. It is that man, having become fruitful, that can be planted by God, transplanted in a place, and kept. Even when the evil is surrounding him, he will not do evil. When Christ came into this world, what was it that surrounded Christ? Eh? Evil, was it good that surrounded Christ? Evil surrounded him. The Pharisees were there tempting him. The Sadducees were there doing their own. Satan was there doing his own. All manner of evil surrounded him. Did he sin? The Bible says, not once did he commit sin. If that nature is in you, you will not commit sin. The Bible makes that clear. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 4 to 10 or so. He said, he cannot commit sin. Why? Because his seed remaineth in him. The word of God is there. The spirit of God is there. He cannot commit sin. Final scripture that we take for today. James chapter 1, verse 12 to 16. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say, when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Don't let anybody fool you. You say, I think, I think God is tempted. God does not tempt you with evil. No, he can never do that. God can never tempt you. Because God himself is not tempted by evil. So God cannot tempt you with evil. You may be made to face a test that God will not tempt you. Verse 14. But each one is tempted, and I add successfully, when he is drawn away by what? His own desires and enticed. Why is he enticed? Because the nature of sin is in him. Do you understand? If the nature of God was in him, he cannot be tempted. Because God cannot be tempted by evil. God cannot be tempted to do evil. Do you understand that? And so God does not tempt anybody to do evil. When you still have the old nature in you, you will be drawn by your desires, those desires. Look at verse 15. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. This is why we have to deal with the sinful nature. For as long as the sinful nature is in you, the desire to commit sin will be there. I think I've given you the illustration before. That if you put wood, ordinary wood, near magnet, will the magnet attract the wood? If you put a nail inside the wood, will the magnet attract the wood? Why is the magnet attracting the wood? Because of the nail. The sinful nature is like nail in you. Sin is like magnet. Or temptation is like magnet. So when temptation comes, what happens? You are drawn because of the nail in you. So what do we need to do? Remove the nail. Let them bring that temptation. Will you be drawn? Never. That is why the old nature of sin must be put away, must be cut away, must be crucified. Otherwise, this is, what, this is what we are going to be doing. We'll be going to church and hearing the word of God and not grow. We will hear and hear and hear and hear. Sometimes we'll leave the church with joy. We'll, all of us will feel that, wow, service was hot today. Everybody will say, oh, I had joy. I had, joy. I had so much joy in my heart. Some of us will even change our names to joy. 
Because we had joy at that service. Then we leave the church. And when we get home, sorrow. What happened? Something else happened. I think I've told this story before in best repetition. How I went to church one Sunday and came home and discovered that my home had been boggled. Specifically, my room had been boggled. My passport stolen, my clothes stolen, so many things. Remember I told you the story that my desire was to curse that day until somebody told me that pray. But even then, I still wanted to curse. But when I began to pray, I found that I was praying for the people who had stolen, that God should not kill them until they confess. And God should have mercy on them. The next morning when I woke up, as was my normal practice to worship God before stepping out, I began to worship God. And the pain of what happened the, last, the, the, the previous day came into my heart. And, this, and I began to cry uncontrollably. I wanted to stop myself, but I couldn't stop myself. And I heard the Spirit of God say to me, What did they steal? I said, they stole my clothes. They stole my shoes. They stole my belt. How many were those things? Dirty things that nobody would even wear. They stole this. They stole my passport. I said, is that what they stole? I said, yes. And the Spirit said, yes. He said, don't cry again. Wipe the tears. Shirts, you will get in abundance. Trousers, you will get in abundance. Belts, shoes, you will be tired of it. Don't cry again. Stop crying. And I left that place go. Today, that thing that Dorothy told me in 1991, I'm seeing it happen in my life too. There are shoes that I look at and say, oh, who can I give these shoes? All of you have small, small shoes. Don't go and reduce your, your feet. You have big, big feet, so I can't give you the shoes. But there are shoes up there. I can't put them up. I have suits I, I don't put on. But you're, you're, I don't know how you have big legs and small frame. What kind of human beings are you? So I think I can bless you with something. But don't go and start eating excessively to put on weight so that you can get the Praise the name of the Lord. But what I'm trying to say is that brethren, understand God's plan for your life. It's a wonderful plan. But for that plan to succeed, the nature of God must be in you. If the nature of God is not in you, I tell you the truth, we are, we are going to be going from pillar to post every day. You'll be going through the emotions on a daily basis. And yet what God wants to do in your life is to establish you and stabilize you. I was talking to someone today. I said part of the problem, or discussing someone, I said the problem that that person has is the problem that many of us also have. Instability. The Bible says, it says of, of a double-minded man. What did he say? He said he's unstable in all his ways. Let that man not think that he's going to get anything from God. Do you know what that means? So, when you look at that scripture, what is the Bible saying there? God is asking you to be what? Stable. Be single-minded. Be focused on one thing. I was discussing with someone the other day. And I said, you have too many stokes, too many spokes in the fire. Before one thing matures, we have jumped to another one. Before it matures, we have jumped. We don't have people who are fixated on one thing. So I'm going to see this thing through. We don't have it. And so we cannot see God doing things on our behalf because we are double-minded. That's the reality. But when you are single-minded, Father, I'm with you on this program. Through thick and thin, I'm with you on this program. And you stick with God. Through thick and thin. It may not be pleasant initially. When God sees your faithfulness in that thing, He will come through for you. I know what I'm talking about. There are some testimonies that, if I share some testimonies with you, you will say, God is being partial. For all the recession that is going on, oh, there are times when we don't have to eat. But at those same times when we don't have to eat, suddenly God will just bring something to the house. He, he will just minister to even wicked men to bring things to this house. 
Men that I don't know from anywhere, they will just wake up. Men who have forgotten me, not that I don't know them. They've forgotten that I exist. They will just come and look for me and drop something. Say, ah, Father, we thank you. And sometimes they expect me to pray for them. I wonder what am I praying for them. It's God that brought you here. You're giving me them something. It doesn't mean anything. But of course, I thank God for, for what they've done. And I, I pray for them that, well, Father, meet them at the point of need. And as far as I'm concerned, the point of need is what? Their salvation. Not that they need anything else, but their salvation. Sometimes I sit down and I look back and I, and I see the small trickles that God is bringing in. When I calculate it, I'm amazed at how much has actually entered my hand. I don't want to share those testimonies. What I'm trying to say, can we be focused? If you say you want to serve God, be focused on serving God. You'll be shocked. Many of us want to serve God on our terms. We want to decide, well, you know when I'm going to serve God, if I can do this one, I will serve God like this. You are, you are fooling yourself. You're not fooling anybody. Because the time is going to come. When God starts rewarding people. And you'll be wondering, why am I not being rewarded? They would, God will ask you, was your mind singing? Were you not running everywhere, looking for one thing or the other? You do this one, you pack it aside. You do that one, you pack it aside. You do that one, pack Can you just be single-minded on what I've told you to do? You'll be serving God. And businesses that you have forgotten existed will call you and say, come and supply this. Come and do this. Come and do that. But no, we're not like that. We will run elder skelter, sweat, borrow money to do this, borrow money to do that. When we are broke, we now run to God. I told uh, our cell meeting yesterday, I said, many of you are not happy that we don't have a church building. You want us to have a church building. Why? Because you want to come at night to roll on the altar and cry to God. That's all why you want a church building. So I can come and lie down in, on the altar and say, I'm talking to God. Talk to God in your closet. You think God does not know what you are going through? You think it's only when you come and lie down on an altar that God will hear you. Where did we get all those things from? It was in the, New Te- in the Old Testament that you had to go to a specific place to get prayers, answers to your prayers. Even in the Old Testament, people prayed in their homes and God heard. Not talk of the New Testament. When God says, I want to dwell in their hearts. He says, before they call, I will what? Hear and answer them. Brethren, I want you to talk to God and tell him, Lord, if there's anything in any way that I am still living this carnal life. Father, remove it from my life. I, I, I want the spiritual man to come forth. I want the nature of God to manifest in my life. Talk to God. Talk to the Lord. I don't want to be like those who have no hope in this world. Every nature that is not of the nature of God in me, let it die. Pray. Pray to God. Every nature that is contrary to God in my life, die in the name of Jesus. It is that nature you can call down fire to kill, not another man. Ask the Lord to uproot every wrongful thing in your life. Everything that will not allow God to plant you where he wanted, where he's always wanted to plant you. Then be removed. Bible says every tree that my father has not planted shall be rooted out. Ask the Lord to root out everything that he has not planted in your life. That greed is not of God. That covetousness is not of God. That impatience is not of God. That envy is not of God. Jealousy is not of God. Bitterness is not of God. Malice is not of God. That wickedness is not of God. That hatred is not of God. Homosexuality is not of God. Lesbianism is not of God. Adultery is not of God, fornication is not of God. Talk to God. Get it out of my heart, Lord. 
Every desire that can be attracted, that can be drawn by temptation, uproot in the name of Jesus. Every nail that can be magnetic in my life, remove it in the name of Jesus. Talk to the Lord. Pray for yourselves, brothers. Pray for yourselves, sisters. Talk to the Lord. We must get ourselves to the place where we are planted somewhere and the Lord knows and say, have you seen such and so person, my servant? Go and tempt him. He will not fall. He will not fail. Talk to the Lord. If there are issues in your life, present it to God in prayer. That is why he is God. And leave it there. Let the matter in God's hands, let it die in God's hands. Don't go back to uproot it. Many of us have become grumblers, complainers. It is time to uproot that nature from your life. Because it does not glorify God. God hates people who complain, people who murmur. He would rather that you talk to him. That's what the Bible says. Take, let your request be made known to God. In everything, take it to God with prayer. Thanksgiving. Take it to God in prayer rather. With thanksgiving. Supplication. To God in all things. And the God of peace will cause his peace to come and garrison your hearts. Brethren, pray. Brethren, pray. Depression has no place in a believer. Ask the Lord to uproot it from your life in the name of Jesus. That is Satan bringing a, 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 a crazy thing into your life. Why must it be there? Uproot it in the name of Jesus. Discouragement does not come from God. Why should you be discouraged? Uproot it in the name of Jesus. Feeling disenchanted is not of God. Uproot it in the name of Jesus. Having to lie cannot be of God. Because God does not tell lies. Uproot it in the name of Jesus. Bitterness is not of God. Uproot it in the name of Jesus. A desire to live on earth forever is not of God. Uproot it in the name of Jesus. If there's any desire is that we should live with God in heaven forever. Talk to God. Talk to God, brethren. Talk to God. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. Brethren, talk to the Lord. Say, Father, I don't want a situation where I'm even looking for an argument to prove anything. Let my faith be in you. Resounding, Lord, in you. Talk to the Lord. Father, help me to be resolute. I want you to note that as you are praying, when the Lord begins to touch on some things in your life, you must bring it to God in repentance. Say, Father, I'm sorry for this. Please, 
Cleanse, cleanse me with the blood of Jesus. Make me whole again. Talk to the Lord. Talk to the Lord. Talk to the Lord. Make me a new man, O oh Lord. Let 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 be true of me. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Father, let all things become new concerning me. Talk to the Lord, brethren. Pray. Pray. Let the fruit of righteousness abound in my life. The fruit of obedience, let it come forth in my life. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. Sufficient unto me that Jesus died and that he died for me. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. Talk to the Lord, brethren. Talk to the Lord, brethren. Thank you, Father. Blessed be your name, Lord. In Jesus' name, we have prayed. Amen.